You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. If you have your copy of Scripture, and you will, let's open it to 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to ask you to stand right now as we stand together on the solid rock of God's Word. Now, I want you to hear this because this is so important. We, we can build the biggest buildings and we can have the best of everything. But if we don't have what Paul talks about here, as you see, it is for nothing. Let's listen. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. God, we ask for that love to fill our hearts and to fill this room. May your grace and mercy just overflow. And God, we cannot wait to see what you're going to do through Ridgecrest Baptist Church. God, help us right now to understand this powerful force that is called love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well... Many of you start your morning off with a cup of coffee. Caffeine is what you use to fuel your day. But I want to tell you, when it comes right down to it, love is the fuel, the rocket fuel of the church. If the church is going to move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit, each one of us need to be filled with love. We can have the very best preaching and teaching here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. We can have the very best singing and songs and music and worship. We can have the most active uh, missions department and have ministries all over the city. But Paul has just shown us we can have all those things, but if we have not love, we have nothing. God has called us to be a people of love. And I think that that's what what we need to hear today. We need our hearts filled with the Spirit of God. And when we are filled with the Spirit of God, we will be filled with love. Your spiritual gifts, as we discussed last week, we talked about how Christ is the head and the body has all the gifts. And I said, every single one of you, every single gift in this room is so necessary. 
And when you're not investing in that gift, we all miss out. I believe that. But today, we need to build on Paul's argument because he doesn't let us stay there. He will not tell us that, that, that giftedness, that my gift and your gift is enough to win the day. The church is not like a business. It's not like a, an academic institution where you're looking for the very best talent. And if you have good talent, you're going to meet with success. Not at all. The bride of Christ must be fueled by something better than talent. This church must be fueled by love. Never think that it's enough that you have the intelligence or you have the ability to sing and communicate. All those things are good, but they're not good enough. The world has gifts too. But here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, if we're going to be a kingdom church, we have to have gifts fueled by love. Don't be separated from that love at all. You see, love is the power behind all good things. Love is the power behind all God things because God is love. God's word tells us that. When we are loving one another well, All we're doing, I think, is being Christ-like. We're truly being the church. But every time that we as a church fail in our mission, it's because we attempt to do the ministry or the mission apart from love. Failure, when we look at it, sure, like today, we can say failure is because we didn't communicate or failure is because we didn't, um, you know, do our work well enough when we were looking at the passage and study or practicing for the song. We failed here or failed there. You know what? What I've noticed, and this is kind of funny, you talk to preachers much, you'll hear them say this. Um, oftentimes, the sermons that technically I, I flopped on the most were the ones that God spoke through. And many times when we're singing, it's even when we make a mistake, even when we, we don't hit the note just right, God still uses it to affect. Why is that? Well, one, he loves us, but often it's in those moments of weakness that people connect with us. It's when we're really good and really precise that people really don't connect with us. Because often I think it's that failure that, that, that helps us to, to be humble and express the love of Jesus and I just, I want this church. We've, we've had so many successes over the years. And, and, and I've talked with many longtime members here. I think that some of those successes have caused us to, to, to uh, lose sight of the need for the love of Christ. It, it really does boil down to something as simple as that. We cannot settle for just good quality ministry. We need love filled ministry. Because here's my conviction. I believe this. If we were to take every gift in this room, again, last week I said, every single one of you have a unique contribution to make to the church. But let's say that we could somehow combine the, uh, the, yeah, the effect, the force for good for every gift in this room, every single one. Let's just imagine that we could do that. I believe with all my heart that that would be of less effect as one of us being completely filled with Christ's love. Now think about that for a moment. All your gifts and all your talents, all the things you could do for the kingdom. And what I'm telling you is, if the kind of love that we read about here in 1 Corinthians 13 would completely take over your heart, it would, it would be more powerful than all the gifts and talents in this room added up. 
That is the most excellent way that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, 31b. That's why he says there in verse 31, he says it is, let me show you the more excellent way because love is so powerful that it can drive everything else. But let's take a close look here at 1 Corinthians 13. And what I want to show you is, is how Paul begins to describe to us this idea of love by showing us how limited we are. So that's my first point, the limits, the limits of love and of our, uh, the limits of our gifts, the limits of our gifts and quite frankly, of course, our love. Now, if you look at this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, it's interesting um, that, that Paul is defining love in two ways. He's defining it in terms of what it is not, but also in terms of what it is. But here's where we make the mistake. When we come to 1 Corinthians 13, we begin to try to think about it in terms of love in the most general sense. Like if we could understand 1 Corinthians 13, well, then we would understand love like in a marriage or in a relationship. But I heard a a, a preacher one time, he's an Irish preacher, his name is Gary Millar, and he said that uh, when he is doing weddings, he'll often have people, couples come to him and say, hey, will you use 1 Corinthians 13 in my wedding? And he'll say something like this, he'll say, Yes, but here's what I'm going to say. Love is patient, but you are not. Love is kind, but often you fail. Now, what he was doing there was saying that, that if we take 1 Corinthians 13 and think of it just in terms of human love, we've missed what Paul is saying. We, we're not perfect in our love, but Jesus is. The whole idea here is to connect us with a love that's greater than we've ever known. The idea here isn't for us to see images of love and say, oh yeah, I've got that down pat. But what Paul's trying to do is stretch us, church, to reach for a love that is truly from heaven, truly glorious, and truly the fuel for missions and evangelism. I'm going to tell you that though we see the limits of our love in this passage, I am convinced more than ever after studying it that this love can truly flow through us. The the love described here that is attributed to Christ, that's attributed to God, is a love that we can internalize to a certain extent and it can flow through us. But look here at this passage. Let's look at some of these limits. Because if we will acknowledge these limits, I think we could really grow. The believer who is mature is not the believer who thinks they've got it all figured out. It's the believer who has really asked God to show them their limits. And it's then that God begins to fill us with the gift of his love. So he hits the ground here. And immediately we begin to see the potential possibility anyway, um, that the Corinthians do have a little bit of a problem. Um, He speaks of speaking in the tongues of men and of angels. He speaks of of, uh, having prophetic powers there in verse 2, the ability to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, having all faith, enough to move mountains. But he says basically all those wonderful attributes, if you don't have love, you have nothing. The Corinthian church had a pride problem. They were exceptionally gifted. They had people who could speak in tongues. They had people with the gifts of prophecy. They had people with every single kind of gift imaginable. And if you didn't think they were really talented, just ask them and they would have told you how talented they were. 
I think that's the kind of people that they were. And the reason I can, can sort of hypothesize that that was the case is because Paul, throughout First and Second Corinthians, but also we can only imagine the other two letters that he wrote to them that we've lost through time, um, it just seems like um, he was always having to really get on to them. They were always missing the boat. They had everything they needed to be successful, but they often failed to love. Now, I'm going to share with you this thought, not that, that Ridgecrest Baptist Church is Corinth, but I think about it this way, with all the gifts and talents that are here, with all the resources that God has blessed us with, can you imagine how accountable we are to God? Do you have any idea of what God expects from a church like this? Because it's more than what we've done so far. I mean that. Whatever we've accomplished in the, in the past, God's going to hold us accountable. And I think there's more that he wants us to do. We cannot settle for anything less than what God wants. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that, to be something great for God, is if the love that Paul talks about here, the love of Christ, just flows from us. We need this kind of love. You can have powers of speech, but friends, if you don't have love and the power of the Spirit flowing through you, the Bible says here that you're no better than a noisy, clanging cymbal, the clashing of cacophony, the sound that is bad, no good, unable to discern anything good or beautiful out of it. That's what we become apart from love. Eloquent speech cannot save a soul. We cannot argue someone into heaven because we're so clever. No. But we can model the love of Jesus and let that love flow through us. One of the scariest phrases in our passage is right there. It's, it's repeated a couple of times, but it's there in verse 1. But have not love. You know, if someone says to you, you know, you're not a very good singer, or you're not a very good preacher, or you're not a very good Sunday school teacher, that hurts. <laughs> Especially if you've worked at it and tried to be good at it. But I just want to say this to you. I would much rather a person say that to you or me than a person say to me, you know what? You're a really good teacher, a really good preacher, a really good singer, but I don't feel like you love me. You see, the funny thing is, is that most of us would be more worried about the former than the latter. But when love isn't being expressed through what we do, then whatever we are doing is for naught. Now, how do I know that it's for naught? Well, that's exactly the word there. Look at the end of verse 2. In the ESV, the last word is nothing. In the original language, that, that word uh, means uh, zero. It means absolute zero. It means total absence of anything uh, of substance. And I believe that if we want to be somebody in this world, then we must love them as Christ loved them. We've got to love the world as Christ loved the world. And if we're not loving the world as Christ loved the world, let me just tell you, you're a zero. Now, that's probably not really good from the therapeutic side to say you're a zero. But from a spiritual, biblical perspective, I think the church needs to hear that. If you are trying to do the work of ministry and you are not asking God to fill you with love, you are doing nothing more than setting yourself up for absolute failure. You're going to be a zero in terms of effectiveness. I believe that every one of you have capacity to be far more than zero, okay? But it only is going to happen if love 
fills you. When I think about it, and over time, looking at, uh, I, I love, when I was really young, I wanted to be an archaeologist, really, to be completely honest with you, I wanted to be Indiana Jones. But anyway, and then I found out that nobody's Indiana Jones. That's just ridiculous. Um, but I've always kind of loved archaeology. I would love to go on, on digs. And, and uh, in my, I guess Facebook kind of knows your mind because I get about 40 articles a day uh, on archaeology, like new finds in archaeology. They, they literally like read your mind, okay? Whatever kind of voodoo they got going on there, it works because they're always giving me those, those articles and I just, I don't, I know, it just excites me when I see an old foundation of a home unearthed, like under a city street in London. And I know it's really sick, but when there's bones in it, it's even better. You know, it's like there's bodies in there. You've been driving over bodies. And you, I don't know, that just to me, that's really cool. It's a Halloween, so it's okay for me to say it that way. But, but you know, here's the thing. Realize that those, those structures that are hidden, that people drive over every day. Somebody put a lot of time and effort in that. And, and it was lost. I mean, how many things that, that I build, which if I build it, it probably isn't going to last anyway, but how many things could I build will last 100 years past my lifetime? Probably not very much. We live in a very disposable world. Most of the things that we construct don't last. You know, you think about a car, how cool it is on the first day you have it, but then you drive by a junkyard and you say, that's where my car is going to be someday, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. So I'm painting this picture because I'm thinking all of us in this room, we believe that our lives are important. We believe that we, we have something in us, a soul that's important. And because of that, there's something in us that's, that, that it's driven to do something that will remain. Now, the world takes that impulse and they try to bid, big, uh, build big monuments to themselves, pyramids in the desert or some great uh, stone edifice that will last and uh, last for hundreds, if not thousands of years. But for us, what we need to realize is, is that um, everything that we have has such a limited value except the things that we do that are empowered by God's love. Now, think of it this way. I'm just gonna give you a real quick, simple example off the cuff. But let's say that this afternoon, the little lady, uh, the little uh, young woman who, who waits on you at your table, you, you, you're nice to that young lady and, and you have an opportunity to invite that young lady to church. Let's say that young lady comes from a very broken background and has really never got to experience Christian love in any true capacity. Let's just say that that person comes and gets plugged into our, our young adult group and, and becomes a believer, gets, gets married later in life, has children, raises their children up in church, and a grandchild becomes a preacher who, who one day uh, shares the gospel with thousands of people, tens of thousands of people all around the world. Guess what? The little bit of love that you let go at lunch lasted forever. Now, what else in your life? What could you do this afternoon that you could say that about? What else could you invest your time in this week that you could say that about? Everything else you do this week will probably not be remembered by Christmas time. 
But if you are loving others well, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I was raised in a Southern Baptist church where we learned evangelism programs and they're wonderful. We need to do a better job about being intentional about evangelism. But it really all boils down to this. You can have all the, all the tools in the toolkit when it comes to evangelism, but the main thing is if you love people, you'll talk with them. You'll get to know them. You'll share love with them. And I have found that it is not about having the ability to argue and know all the facts. In fact, I find usually for me, that hurts me in my witness. Because people don't need in those opening moments, they don't need me to prove to them, you know, the existence of God. They just need to know that love exists. And, and, and they need to sense that that love is emanating from me. Now, again, when you look at this passage, we see that, that all that's going on here is, is good in the sense that the, the Corinthian church had some good things going for it, but it seems like they were in a position where they were gaining nothing. And Paul, in a very clever way, he's saying, you're gaining nothing because you have not love. And I want to say this to you, if you're burdened about outreach, if you're burdened about missions, and there's a dry spell in your life, let me just proffer the possibility that the reason why, it's not because you're not smart enough, it's not because you're not working hard enough for the kingdom, it's because maybe you've forgotten that the number one job is to love God and love people. And if you'll capture that again, if you will ask God to forgive you, then you will start having spiritual victories. Only a heart changed by Christ can change the world. But look at verse 8. It says, love never fails. One author put it this way, love has never been defeated. Your love given out to people in this community cannot be defeated. Now, in the short term, will someone say no when you share the gospel? Very likely. But every time you give out love, I think that it leaves a residue that God can build on in the future. That every bit of love that's truly from your heart from Christ is love that will not be defeated. In the end, that person uh, may receive uh, the Lord today. It may be in 20 years, but I just don't believe true love, when you share it, it's going to make a difference. But I'm asking you to make a difference. Friends, if we want to, um, if we really want to be a church on fire for Jesus, sure, we want to disciple you, but there's something that I can't teach you. I just can't teach you. I can't make you figure this out. You've got to open your heart to God's love. You have to say, Lord, there's no book I can read here. Um, there's no manual for this. Help me love my neighbor. Help me love. Oh, it's frustrating. Look here in verse 9 and following in, in, in uh, chapter 13. Um, there, well, actually in verse 8, the second part, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will, it will pass away. It says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. And basically, here's the thing. If you don't have love, you'll always be incomplete. Everything about your ministry will be, quote unquote, look at the text, in part. 
But it's so interesting to me, and, and I could give you, we could go through and use a, an app and get all the occurrences. But it's so interesting how in the Bible, so many times we see the word fullness related to, uh, you know, the, the spirit-filled life. When, when you are letting God work, it's interesting, the results, there's fullness in your life. And so think about this with me this morning. We need to come to terms with the fact that our ineffectual Uh, ministry, it all boils down to perhaps our lack of love. If we feel like that we're only doing things part way, there's only one word of advice I have for you. You need to be on your knees in prayer, asking God to reveal to you the parts of your heart where love has grown cold. You know, I said to our Wednesday night crowd this last week, we have folks that really want to see God move. And they say they want to see people come and filling the altar. But how many times in a service like this, now if you're a Baptist, you kind of get this. If you don't come from a Baptist background, you may not get this. But in Baptist life, we've always kind of believed that when the Spirit begins to speak to us in a worship service, the place we need to be is the altar where we just come and take that to the Lord. That's kind of how I was taught. Is that the only way? No, I'm telling you, you can get right with God in your pew. So don't, don't think that this is an absolute. But what about this? What if God is telling you to come up here and pray and week after week you say no? I think we grow cold and indifferent to the spirit sometimes by continually saying no. And we wonder why other people don't go forward. Well, maybe people aren't going forward because we're not going forward. Maybe because we're not modeling what it means. Listen, when we come to church and we're convicted by the word, but we are never moved to do anything about it. I think over time we do grow cold and it affects every part of our lives. And I just want to challenge you here today to think about the fact that you need to put some some feet to the prayer. You truly need to allow God's love to begin to overwhelm you. Now look there in verse 11. It speaks of spiritual growth. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Then he says, I became a man. And gave, away, gave up childish ways. You see, a child is always, typically, now there are examples, I'm sure, otherwise, but children typically have a, what are you going to give me kind of mentality. But an adult, especially an adult who has kids to take care of, is always thinking more of, what do I need to give? And when it comes to your gifts, realize your limits. You, you can't save the world for Christ because you're the smartest person in this world, but you can begin to make a dent in lostness if you will love the world. And I think that's what a mature believer begins to realize. They understand the limits of their gifts and they begin to trust in the love of the Lord. So notice in the passage here in verse 12, it uses the imagery here of a mirror. For we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. This is another illustration of the limited nature of, of our reasoning ability and our giftedness. So Corinth was known as a place where mirrors were made. In the ancient world, they, they were known for having the very best quality mirrors. And in those days, to have a really good mirror, you had to take a metal of some sort and polish it and polish it and polish it and polish it until it was as, as smooth a surface as possible. And that was what, what people would use to look into, to, you know, get ready in the morning. And so uh, the ladies of Rome, if you were a well-to-do lady in Rome, you had a Corinthian mirror because it would show you every hair that was out of place. 
But here's the thing. Paul is saying, and he knew this, back in those days, the mirrors aren't like today. Today, a mirror, well, have you ever been in one of those hotel rooms where they have those mirrors that kind of blow things up and you go, oh, oh, I didn't need that. But anyway, there was no mirrors like that. The mirrors all had imperfections because you can polish that, that metal all you want, but it's almost impossible to get metal to not have a little dimple or a little crease or a little wrinkle. And every time you line that up and one of those little dots or dimples or wrinkles gets in the, in, in the line of sight, it distorts. And what Paul is telling us here is, is that all of our efforts, all that we do, are, we're going to be seeing a distortion. We're going to have a distortion. We're less than perfect. But notice what he says. He's telling us not to give up. He's saying, know your limits. Know that you're not going to be able to see fully the love of Christ or be able to express the love of Christ fully. But he says, don't give up because there's coming a day when you will see Christ face to face. And you will know him as you have been known. And he says, in that moment, it'll all come together. And so friends, today I'm asking you, you don't have to be perfect in your love, but you need to be persistent in your love. And you need to be asking God every day to help that love be a little more of a true reflection of Christ's love. So what does that look like? Very quickly, it's right here, verses four through seven. Four through seven. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I love this, th- th- these verses here, a handful of verses with so much truth. They tell us what the love of Christ looks like. Now, I believe that if you really want to know what the love of Christ is, you need to just read the Gospels because he modeled um, love in all that he did. Look at all of his interactions. So, you know, the, the whole idea here is love is patient. Let's talk about that for just a moment. So that word patient, one way I like to think about it is margin. Let me put it to you another way, living a little bit of room. Like, for instance, if you're going to park your car in a parking space, you try to center it up pretty good so that you leave a little bit of room to your left and to your right. Because if you don't, there's going to be a door ding. Now, my kids will tell you, I may be the worst driver ever. I am never able to put it in the middle, and they always make fun of me. Okay? So they need to love me better. (laughs) But uh, patience. They're just having trouble having patience with an old guy like me, but... Patience, leaving room. You know, I think about Jesus and the kind of room he left for his disciples. You know, if you read the Gospels, the disciples do a lot of really stupid things. And Jesus would have been well within his rights to pull the stunt that you might recognize from a recent television show where a guy who sat at the end of one table would look at everybody else and say, you're fired. The disciples had done many things that deserved termination from discipleship. And yet Jesus was patient 
That means he left margin. That meant that he left room. So when you think about what love should look like in your life, how much margin are you leaving for your neighbor? Are you that kind of person that says, I'll like you until the minute you mess up and then I won't have anything to to do with you anymore? You see, that's not patience. That's leaving no room. That's not the way Christ would do it. If you are trying to love someone who's not a believer, guess what? Non-believers live like non-believers. And they sin. And you can say, well, I'm not going to have anything else to do with that person. Or you can continue to pursue them in love. You can leave margin. That's the kind thing to do. That's another thing that's said here about love, uh, that it is kind. And when I think about kindness, uh, the word that just has to come into my mind is humility. Now, when I, when I think about this term of love being kind, um, if you're, and I'm kind of dressed the part here, you know, shirt and tie, standing erect, you know, like this with a scowl on my face, that's not very kind. But the image I have here is not of the guy dressed, uh, dressed up, but I see in kindness, I see the guy who's, who's down on his knees and washing feet. Kindness requires humility. If you are, are going to love people, being kind means that you are not looking down on them, but you're going down as low as you need to from a servant's perspective to show them love. Jesus did this even unto death, death on a cross. How can we stand up straight and act like we've got it all together when we don't? Kindness is just loving and serving people. And when we do that, there'll be joy. Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude. Obviously, those things don't bring any joy to people's life. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it does rejoice with the truth. Love is always celebrating truth. So there we have an end to why would we preach the Bible? Why would we have this time of learning God's word? Because the more we learn the truth of God's word, the more we will experience the love of God for us. What a powerful thought. All of this flowing from the love of Christ. Let me show you this where it says, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Why see the cross in that? Bears all things, endures all things. Doesn't that sound like the cross? That Jesus bore all of my sins on the cross. Why? Well, because he believed and he believed that I would turn from my sins. He hoped in a better future for me. That's true for you, and that's true for every lost person in this world. Jesus bore the cross. He endured the pain so that every single person who would believe on him would be saved. And we need to realize that, that that is love. And we can only love people when we are going out there and sharing that love, the love of Jesus with others. We are helpless apart from God's love. We are helpless apart from God's love. We are no help to others apart from God's love. So here's the thing. If we don't have God's love, we can't know God. And if we don't know God, obviously we can't share God. So love, again, is the centerpiece of everything we do ministry-wise and missionally. But let me show you this last verse as we wrap things up. 
Because I'd sure hate for you to walk out of here without heaven's greatest gift. Now notice this, faith, hope, and love, they abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. It wasn't too many years ago, I don't know how I didn't notice this before, but someone pointed out to me that in heaven, you won't have any need for faith because Paul's already said, you're going to see eye to eye with Jesus himself. So you don't have to have faith. He's there. You don't need, you don't need hope. Why? Because once again, uh, there's nothing to hope for because you're experiencing the perfection of hope. But what will be there? Love. I mean, faith and hope are wonderful things. How could you even, you know, have you ever had somebody say, okay, here's three great options. Pick the one. And you're like, oh, I like all of them. It's kind of one of those moments. But Paul says, no, you got to see love is the greatest. And here's why. Because love is the eternal thing that we can experience in this world. Now, faith and hope are things we experience in this world, but don't need in heaven. But love is something that we can enjoy now and enjoy forever. Christ is inviting you into that love. He is calling your name. This chapter ends with the word love. And our talk together does too. You need to know that Jesus is love. He loves you. He invites you into that love. How about it? Receive Christ's love. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.